This is a free download from Delancey Healing Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Healing Church building at Le Banks, St. Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyhealing.co.uk. Um, and I'm starting off with the topic of has science disproved Christianity so if that's of any interest to you um, and you think you'd like to come along then then please do Um, uh, it's great what's been set up for the evenings Um, Mike and Jonathan are doing this rotor of different things in the evening which is fab Um, and so they asked me to do some teaching so I'm going to kick start with one of my favourite topics science and religion so uh, I'm going to look at that. Obviously, I've only got a, an hour or so, so um, I can't cover everything, but we can have a little look. And um, I kind of envisage that it'll be a little bit more seminar-like than preaching-like. Um, so we'll grab a tea or coffee, and we'll just sit and we'll just chat through some things together um, about science and religion. And I know you may well be sat there today saying, um, has science disproved Christianity? Well, no. I presume that's your answer because you're here. Um, but, however, there's lots of people that do think science disproves Christianity. And um, maybe we think no, but why do we think no? And what is the reason behind that? And maybe um, we can just chat through some stuff. I'm not saying I've got many answers, but I've got lots of questions. So that's always good, isn't it? Just throw out lots of questions. So um, if you're interested, that's next Sunday evening, um, and I will be sharing a little bit on that. Okie dokie. Right, is that everything? Nice, notice-wise? Yeah, good. Just checking with the boss. Good stuff, right. Okay, I just want to share, um, before I, I share from the Word of God uh, this morning with you, I'd like to just share a little bit about my trip to um, South Africa and in the summer, you will know that I went away for two weeks as part of Elam uh, International Missions. And we went over there and worked with the missionaries and the different churches that they're working with over there as well. So I thought I would um, show you some of my holiday snaps, uh, like, like you do. So is that um, going to pop onto the screen? Ooh, look at that. Brilliant. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so I went to South Africa. I didn't really know much about South Africa before I went, but what... The, the reason it came about was because I was sat at the kitchen table um, and I was like, oh, what am I going to do for my summer holidays? And I thought, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go. And so I spoke to Paul Hudson, who is our missions director, and he said, well, why don't you join us on a trip and come along? And I was like, oh, okay. He offered me Pakistan. I was like, um, well, see that it's so dangerous over there at the moment. Have you got anything else? Not that, you know, um, and he said, well, about South Africa? And I was like, okay, I'll go to South Africa. So um, that's what we did. So I went there, and this is just one of the views, uh, those amazing, amazing views, um, and just, just a beautiful, beautiful place. And this is just one shot of that, um, and you can just see the landscape's brilliant. So we went to South Africa. Um, I don't know whether you know these people at all. If you, if you pray for Elam missions and, and the missionaries and you get updates, you might know this couple. Um, but they're called uh, Robin and Janet, and they are working now um, in South Africa, and we've got a real heart for the people there. So it was really lovely for us as a team just to go across, really, if all we did was just to encourage them. And, and just, you know, spend some time and fellowship with them, which was lovely. So those were the missionaries out there. 
this is the team that went, the Motley crew. Um, and so Paul Hudson there on, on, on the, your left yeah, is our Elam International Missions Director. He's been here, he's preached here, so I'm sure you know him. And uh, Linda works within the missions and Billy is a pastor as well in the UK. So there's four of us went um, across. You probably know where South Africa is. Your geography is probably great. Mine is shocking. Um, so <laughs> I didn't really know where I was going. But that is South Africa. And that little arrow there just points out kind of the area that we were in. So we were um, kind of like right up in the, the northeast there, next to Kruger National Park, if um, any of you know Kruger National Park. We did actually go there. That was I shouldn't really say that. That was one of the highlights of seeing the elephants and giraffes. But it was one of the highlights of seeing all the, all the animals. That was brilliant. So that's where we went up that side. And just a little bit zooming in, we actually came to Barberton down the bottom there, which is where um, Robin and Janet live. And we travelled all the way up to Zanin, which is at the top, uh, just in the middle there, stopping off along the way um, at various different places. Because they work in that whole area and so they're connected to lots of different churches. So a lot of the time, what we were doing was just going to churches, preaching and teaching, um, and just being part of the fellowships there. So uh, that's what we did. Um, the main kind of purpose was the fact that, uh, and I've got to thank you guys as well for this, because um, whenever Elam do a relief appeal, so there's a crisis and, and you know they'll collect money in for a particular um, relief project, uh, this was actually the result of that because money had been raised for Africa in the famine and um, so many of you might have given into that. And so one of the things they decided to do was give some money to Robin and Janet to do a project in the area and so they put the money into doing a borehole project. Now it only costs £5,000 and to, for us £5,000 you know, it is a lot of money but not in the great scheme of things but this £5,000 for this project has absolutely transformed the community um, which is just amazing. And it was, for me, going there was just such a humbling experience. I didn't, um, you know, going there wasn't really any benefit to the people so much as maybe an encouragement, but it really was a benefit for me. Um, and going to see the project, it was already done, so we were just going as sort of the opening ceremony, as it were, to do that. So it was a humbling experience. Um, this was just, you know, this one of the uh, services we went to for the opening. At the opening of the project, um, these people here were like, all different important people, um, you know, people who are in politics and stuff, I didn't know, but they're important people that had come to gather for this service. So we did the service. We started off in daylight um, by the time we actually got out. And if you've ever been to African services, this is what it's like. By the time we got out, um, it was getting dark. But that is the, the um, borehole project there, and they'd covered it up. And um, Paul did the you know, the, the cutting of the ribbon and, and the dedication of the borehole to God. And it was just a really moving time for us. Um, and they've got this little plaque there, which was great, um, uh, a, a, you know, from Elam Missions. And um, one of the girls got up there and spoke, and she was just, um, I think she was 20. Lots of people spoke, but one of the girls got up there and, in the service. And she, I wish I'd recorded it, but she just said this testimony and it was so moving because um, she said about how this would give them the opportunity now um, for, for jobs and, and for their future. And, and uh, it's such a powerful, powerful thing to hear um, because this is the upshot now of the Borehole Project. So this is, these were sent through to me just the other day by Robin and Janet because not only has water been provided for the people, 
Um, but that water now is so that they can grow stuff and so they can grow the crops, they can sell them, they've got a livelihood and it's all connected. And it really is, the church really see it as an outreach because it's not just for them, it's not just for the church, although it's on church land, it's for the community. And so the community are coming in and they're seeing that church is providing something for them. Very much like our model of church here, isn't it? The same thing. Um, and so the community can use it. They know the water's there, um, and they are growing these crops. Um, it's a cute little photo there uh, that they can use and then sell, and they've got a livelihood. So to be a part of that is great, but you guys were a part of that as well, because in your giving and in your praying, that's what it was all about, um, and setting up this thing. So um, we also did a bit of food distribution, so we just, this was just one of the carts, but we went and we bought loads of food, piled up um, the cars, and then sorted out, put them into bags and took them out into the community, just a small thing as we went around praying for people. Um, this is one of the ladies, an important lady in her village that we met, um, and we were just giving food out there and praying for them. Again, this was at the borehole project, but it was, that, it was night time by the time we were actually doing this. Um, which was great. And then, like I said, we just went to lots of church services. This is a very pink church. <laughs> just was a bit made, it was really pink. Um, but the, these are the young people. Everybody, they all get up and sing and dance for you. It's just amazing. Um, and this was the young people's group. Just brilliant. They were singing for us. This is the children's group who were singing for us. The children are amazing. Um, the, all through the service and the preaching, all the children just sit at the sides bless them, falling asleep and all sorts of things. But um, they're also keen and so eager and, and it was beautiful to witness. Um, again, another church service. I, I've got quite a few different photos like this, but I haven't put them all up there. Um, and then one of the other things we did was went to the Bible school. Um, Robin and Janet have set up like a training Bible school for, um, for ministers uh, and for other people who just want to um, know a bit more. And so we led some of the sessions there in the Bible school as well, which was fantastic. Um, so really, for me, it's just a massive thank you to, to you for praying for me while I was out there and, and for my safety, but for all your giving to Elam Missions. You know, sometimes we give into these things and, um, you know, we think, oh, well, where's it all going and how's it, is it making a difference? Does my little gift make a difference? And yes, it does make a difference. It really does. And these people's lives are, are changed and transformed and, and um, it's amazing to see that. So, yeah. Just please continue to, to give and pray for, for missions. And on the back of that, I just want to say as well, um, obviously I've got, um, you know, I'm on leadership in terms of thinking about missions and international missions, but I, I can't do that on my own. Um, so I would really like, um, just because I'm just not good enough <laughs> to do it on my own, I would really like a team of people, and I know that there's lots of people in here that have helped me before with missions, um, and it's been sort of like on, on a basis of let's do an event and I bring people together. I'd quite like to set up a team that really just meets every month, just once a month, that thinks about international missions, that can pray for international missions, that can sort out the notice board over there that, I'm, that I need to keep updated, but it's, it never is, um, to do things like that, um, to think about events that we could do to get people aware of what's going on around the world, to raise funds for it, to organise mission trips. So if you think that is something that you would like to you know, be involved in, be a part of, please come speak to me. Okay, And it might be, and I've had people in the past say, well, I can't commit to coming once a month, but if we ever do anything, if there's an event or anything, count me in, 
I'll, you know, I'll help out with that, and that's great too. So if you think, yeah, you know, let's think about international missions a little bit more, then please come and, um, and see me and do that. That would be great. Okay. Thank you. Oh, I don't know why I'm putting that away. I'm preaching, aren't I? Right. <laughs> let's not forget. <laughs> okay, so let's just, um, let's just pray together before we come to the Word of God. Father God, I just want to thank you so much that you do indeed love us with an unconditional, everlasting love. I really just thank you that, for that song today which just declares that, yes, your love is higher and your love indeed is wider and deeper than we can ever imagine. Lord, we go to all sorts of places to look for love. We go to all sorts of places to look for acceptance. And yet, Father God, we find it in you. And I thank you for that. Lord, I I thank you that you are working throughout this world. That you are not just here in Guernsey, in Delancey, but you are all over the world, working in people's lives, transforming people's lives. And I thank you for that connection that we have with our brothers and sisters around the world today. Lord, I thank you for... Robin and Janet in South Africa, Lord. I thank you for the hard work that they are doing. I thank you that they are committed to the cause. I thank you, Lord, that we had the opportunity to go away and do that project and, and, and for what that means to the people there. And Lord, we pray your hand of blessing upon it. We pray that we would see many people come to know you because of that water. So Lord, we just lift you up today and we thank you that you are part of our lives and you are with us. And Lord, today as we look into your word, we pray that you might open it up to us. I pray that we would have um, hearts that are open, eyes that are open, ears that are open to be transformed by your living word. I thank you that this word is still relevant today. And it's still for us today. So God, I, I ask that you would speak. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, and uh, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 9. Marilyn, is it possible to have the PowerPoint still back up? Is that all right? Thank you. Thank you, that's great. Let me just flick through quickly. Sorry, I should have said I, need, I wanted it still. Okay. Um, I've just been, like I said, that time in South Africa was amazing. And um, when you go away on trips like that and do things like that, it is, you do come back a bit different. And I'm glad about that. It changes you in some way, doesn't it, when you have something like that. But, you know, we've all been called to mission, haven't we? We've all got a missional calling on our lives as followers of Christ. We all have a mission. We've all been called to spread the gospel message. Yeah? We've all been called to go and help the poor and to help the needy and to help the outcast and to to love, as Simon was saying, maybe the unlovable. We have that calling over our lives. Mark chapter... Uh, 12, just briefly, says this, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That is the first commandment, to love God with every part of our being, to love God. And the second is to love your neighbour as yourself. There's no greater command than these. And Matthew, the Great Commission in 28, says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Love God. Love others. Love God. And love others. And in loving others, we share that gospel message through our words and through our deeds. It really is that simple. Christianity really is that simple. And whether we go to other countries, or whether it's in our own community, whether it's in our workplaces, our social settings, wherever we are in our homes, the same command still carries. To love God and to love others. That's the important thing. And it really is that simple. Except for why then do we find it so hard? Or is that just me? Love God, love others. It does sound simple. And yet, I do struggle with that at times. Because in loving God, and in loving other people, and in laying down our lives for others, there's a price to be paid. There is a cost, and the cost is pretty high. We don't always like everybody. It's a struggle sometimes to love people. It's a struggle to be kind-hearted all the time, and to do what God would want us to do. But that's what we're called to do. And the cost and the price is quite high. So I want to look today at this passage in Luke 9, which is called The Cost of Following Jesus. So let's have a little look at this. From verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Jesus said, follow me. But the man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Three little dialogues there that Jesus has with these men. Interesting little dialogues about the cost, the price to be paid for following Christ. Let's look at this first dialogue to begin with in verse 57. Here we have a guy who says and is volunteering, I will follow you, Jesus. I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Perhaps there's two levels of meaning here. 
it's clear here that the man is volunteering. Yeah, He's saying to Jesus, I'm going to follow you. He's willing to go. He isn't recruited, but he's just drawn to this community of disciples. He wants to follow Jesus. But maybe his understanding of what it means to follow could appear a little bit too shallow. You see, to follow Jesus meant Gethsemane. To follow Jesus meant Golgotha. To follow Jesus meant the tomb. That's what it meant to follow Jesus. And in Jesus' response, he was trying to make the man understand that to follow him meant these things. It wasn't going to be an easy ride following Jesus. To follow meant suffering. Because he would be signing up to follow a rejected leader. He would be signing up to follow a leader who was going to suffer. Now, I'd always say this, but it's so important that we do it. We have to have to put our first century Jewish hats on. We have to pause for a moment to see it how they would see this. Okay, because this is a shock to the person listening. Because the Old Testament book that they were familiar with, in the book of Daniel, it declares that the Son of Man will be victorious and the Son of Man will be glorious. And so that is what they are expecting. It says the Son of Man would have dominion. But in the book of Luke, before this time, it has already been seen that Luke has put there, the Son of Man must suffer. So this guy who says, I'll follow you, Jesus, I'll follow you. But maybe he doesn't really realise what he's signing up for. Because Jesus is trying to say, look, I've got nowhere to lay my head. Following me is following a leader who will be rejected, who will suffer. I've got to go through Gethsemane. I've got to go through Golgotha. I've got to go to the tomb. It was the way of suffering. Kenneth Bailey, he's a, he's a writer, great guy. I read a lot of his stuff. And he, he was saying that in here, when it says birds have nests, it's probably more accurate for us to read that birds have roosts. Now, does anyone know much about birds? I don't know much about birds, okay? I, I, I don't know. But those of you who do will know that birds always have a place to rest. They always have a roost to go to. Nests, they only build at certain times of the year. There you go, a little nugget for you. You probably knew that, but yeah. So birds always have roosts. They always have a place. And so the point that Jesus is making here is, look, foxes always have holes to go to, and the birds always have a place to go to, but the Son of Man has none. The Son of Man will be rejected. The Son of Man's going to suffer. But there's another level of meaning here. And this little nugget that Jesus is talking about has also got some great political symbolism. Throughout the Bible, whenever you read something and you read Jesus' words, there's so much um, of politics in there that we probably never understand because we look at it through our 21st century eyes so we don't always get it and don't pick up on things. But perhaps that does have a political point. The birds of the air represented the Gentile nations, the Romans that were in the land of Israel. And the foxes represented the Ammonites. They were enemies of the Israelites. They were enemies of Israel. So you've got these two groups of people. We know, don't we, that Jesus called Herod that fox. Remember back? Oh, hello. And so perhaps Jesus has got a different level here of meaning. In a sense, maybe what he was saying is this, that everybody is in home, everybody is at home in Israel. The people are at home, except for the true Israel, except for the true Israelites, because they had been disinherited. 
The Romans were there. The Ammonites. Is the volunteer, the man here, prepared to follow and serve God under such conditions? I think that was what Jesus was saying. Look, are you prepared to follow me under such conditions? Because we're living in a land here where we've been disinherited. We've got these different people groups in. And it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to follow me in this situation. It's going to be tough to follow me in this political atmosphere. Are you prepared for this? That's what he was asking the man. Because when you follow me, you're, like, you're joining the ranks of the dispossessed. That's what you're doing. And he was asking the man, look, are you prepared for that? Don't follow me, says Jesus, if you want the power and you want the influence and you want the victory. Follow the foxes and the birds if you want that. But don't follow me if you want that. Because I'm powerless and alone at this point in time. At this moment in time. So basically... The volunteer here is being told that the son of man, that he's so quick to follow, is not going to be victorious in the way that they expected. Now, we have hindsight, so we know the story, that he is victorious. But in this context, that's what he's saying. You see, the son of man will walk the road of pain. The son of man is going to walk the road of suffering. The son of man is going to walk the way of rejection, of humiliation, of tears. Are you still willing to follow me? Is Jesus. And the question has not changed for us today. The question is still the same for us today. Are we still willing to follow? Are we still willing to sign up to this? How often, like the volunteer, do I fail to consider seriously the cost of my discipleship? Fail to recognise that actually, yeah, Jesus had to go the way of Gethsemane. Jesus had to go the way of Golgotha. Jesus had to go the way of the tomb to see victory at the end. And we live in a similar situation today. The birds and the foxes are still there for us today. Okay, they might not be the Romans or the Ammonites, but they represent everything that runs contrary to God. They represent everything in our society of influence, of power, that serve perhaps to distract us sometimes from being fully committed to the service of God. And I have to ask myself that question, do I recognise that my discipleship might call me to suffer? Do I recognise that my discipleship is not necessarily going to be an easy ride? That it isn't always going to be brilliant and fantastic and great? You know, we hear stories all the, de- uh, all the time of Christians being persecuted around the world. I was speaking to someone just the other day, and they had been away, and they were talking about a couple who had been brutally killed, and I won't go into detail, in, in a country, just because they converted to Christianity. And what's one story amongst so many people, our brothers and sisters around the world, giving up their lives for Christ, suffering just for being a Christian, just because of choosing the path of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, look, do you know what discipleship means? Do you understand that it might cause you suffering? Now, I thank God that I'm in a place of freedom, and we don't have that threat over us at the moment. But suffering comes in all shapes and sizes, doesn't it? And it's not just about persecution for being a Christian. I think Jesus is saying more than that. But actually, the road, the discipleship road that we are on may cause us suffering. 
suffering in so many ways. Suffering of sacrifice. Suffering of giving. Suffering of laying down our lives for other people. You know, I said it was so simple, but it is so hard. Yes, following Jesus isn't going to be easy. Because yes, forgiving hurts. To be someone who lays down their life for others, it hurts. To love people when we don't like them is painful. Giving up our time, our precious time for others can be a struggle. Giving up our finances can be a struggle. And the sacrifice of our desires for whatever that might be, the sacrifice of those things can cause suffering. But Jesus is saying to the, to the volunteer who says, I'll follow you, Jesus. Saying, do you understand? Do you understand what this discipleship means? You're going to walk away of suffering. Because it does hurt sometimes. It does hurt sometimes. And we maybe, I maybe, need to take seriously again the cost. Loving God, loving others. It may be a struggle at times. But that's the cost of the discipleship. Let's have a look at the second dialogue. Verse 59. Jesus says, this is different now. Jesus is saying to another man, follow me. But the man goes back to Jesus and says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This second dialogue isn't um, a volunteer. Instead, Jesus is recruiting him, saying, follow me. Now, the reason the man gives here Well, to be honest, I'd never really read it in the right way, I don't think. Because, again, we need to put our first century Jewish hats on to appreciate what's being said. Because when you read that, I always thought Jesus was being a little bit harsh with the man. Because the man was making, for me, a reasonable request. And Jesus was saying, no, you know, leave the dead to bury their own. But actually, when we place it in the context, it perfectly makes sense. And we always have to do that. See, let me go and bury was actually an expression back then that meant, let me go and serve my father. Let me go and serve my father and my parents while they're still alive. Um, And then when they pass away, I'll bury them. So the man is saying to Jesus, look, what I'll do is I'll go home and I'll, I'll look after my father and the parents and I'll see out their days and then I'll come and I'll follow you. Because, really, that makes far, far more sense. Because in a Middle Eastern setting, um, they would never, ever have made sense of it in any other way. Because you wouldn't leave your father alone if he was to be buried. You would, you would watch over the body. You would be there. You would be in a situation with your family. You wouldn't leave them. You wouldn't go in, on, on the roadside and be chatting to someone. Tradition meant you had to go back there and stay there. So this wasn't a man going, all right, let me just pop back. And then I'll come again, like, within the next day or something. No, this is somebody saying, you know, it might be 20, 30 years yet, but I'll follow you at some point in the future. Let me go first, look after everything at home, and then I'll come and follow you. It was a, to bury one's father was a a tradition. It was the duty of the son to remain there, to care for his parents. And if the son was intending to leave home, let's say for, for whatever reason, 
um, say he was going to leave home, somebody would come and say to him, you know, are you not going to bury your father first? Not meaning, are you going to bury your father, but are you not going to stay at home first and look after them and, and you'll do your duty before you leave? So the assumption here then in this statement is that the son has a duty to go back home and look after his parents. And for us, we go, yeah, that's an honourable duty. That sounds right. But only once he had done that could he then consider following Jesus. And again, I think we find ourselves in a similar situation today. Maybe not in the exact same, not with that community expectation like that man had, but we have expectations over our lives from our culture, from our society. We have demands and pressures on our lives. And the man didn't expect Jesus to go against the community expectations, but this is precisely what Jesus does. Because Jesus is saying here, look, loyalty and commitment to me, to Christ, is far more important than to the loyalty of your cultural norms, to the things of that day. And I find myself in my life all the time being bombarded with things in society that are just the norms for society. But sometimes they do conflict with the norms of Christ. They do run contrary to that. There's so much pressure sometimes to conform to the things of our world, to the things of our community. But we're not called, are we, to conform. We're called to be transformed. doesn't mean, of course, that we have to separate ourselves from society, that we don't follow any cultural norms. There are loads of things we do follow and we just fit into, and that's okay, because they're okay. So long as they don't get in the way of Christ, so long as they don't oppose Christ, so long as they don't conflict, so long as they don't become more important than the way of Jesus. Sometimes we can water down what we think, water down what we believe, water down our witness because of the pressure of the culture that we're in, of the society that we're in. I can find myself doing that sometimes. Maybe just changing a little bit just to fit in with everybody else, what everyone else is going on. And Jesus is saying to this man, look, you know what, this might be the community expectation for you, that you go home. That might be the norm, but I'm telling you that actually, that's not good enough. I don't want you to conform to this. My way is far more important. Come follow me and proclaim the kingdom of God. You see, loving God and loving others, it demands us to be transformed and not conform to the things of this world. Two little dialogues. Loyalty to Jesus. It supersedes all other loyalties. And I've got to look at my life honestly and say, where do my loyalties lie? Not that I have loyalty to other things that are wrong and bad, just are they in the wrong order? Have I got my priorities wrong? Is Jesus the most important thing to me? Is my discipleship of following Christ the most important thing to me? The price is high. The cost is high. Let's have a look at this final dialogue. Verse 61. Yeah, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the power and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We have another volunteer here, just like in the first dialogue. But like the second man, um, he has this precondition as well. 
Now, again, we've got to read it correctly. We've got to see it through first century Jewish eyes. And again, we could read this and think, Jesus, you're being a bit harsh, aren't you? Surely you can, if this man is going to give up everything and follow you, you'd allow him to go home. You'd allow him to go and say his farewells and his goodbyes. We read in the, in, um, in the Old Testament about Elisha, you know, following Elijah, and he, he's allowed to go home and say goodbye and prepare a feast and do all of that. Why wouldn't you let this man? So we've got to see it right. We've got to see it in the right context. So we need to get a little Greek, okay? I like getting a little Greek sometimes. To discover the real meaning, Okay? So let's have a little look at the Greek. This little word here, apotasso. Apotasso? Apotasso. Is that how you say it? Yeah. It's up and it'll sound fine, won't it? Okay, so this means, translated to say goodbye, or it means this, to take leave of. Now you've got to read it in the right context, and I'm not going to go into massive detail on this, but here it means to take leave of in this context. So the person who's leaving is basically saying he needs to go and request to get permission from the people he's leaving, the people who are going to stay and remain. He needs their permission to go. And only when, they, when he gets the permission can he then go and can he then follow. So this man, again, is not saying, well, I'm just going to nip home, say my goodbyes, say a few farewells, and Jesus, I'm on, on the on route. No, what he's saying is, I need to go home and I need to get permission from my family so I can take leave of them. And everybody listening to that would have known this. There's no way that he would get permission to go. No way. Because he had a duty to stay at home, to look after the family, to look after the parents. So he wasn't going to get that permission. So the excuse was ready made. It's like, well, Jesus, I would follow you. I would do what you want me to do. I would go your way. But I just, I can't. It's my duty. I can't do it. He was saying, I'd love to follow, but really, the authority of my father is a higher authority than you, Jesus. The authority I have at home is more important than you. And in this culture, the father really was the supreme authority. And that's why, you know, it talks about in the Bible, God being our father, because it made sense. Father was supreme, had authority. And so for a Middle Eastern person to hear this claim from Jesus, that Jesus' authority, this is what Jesus is saying, that my authority is over the authority of your father. That, that's absolutely shocking to people who would have heard it back then. To find that out, to find out that Jesus' authority is the most important. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying. And this third, third man thought that saying he would follow Jesus, while still holding on to the authority of his father as higher, would be acceptable. But it was clearly not acceptable. Jesus is saying, you can't, you can't have something else in your life that has more authority than me. You can't have something in your life that is more important than me. I'm going to be the highest authority. When you sign up to follow me, when you sign up to be my disciple, I am the authority. And you can't have something that's higher than that. And he uses this great little example, this great little parable of the plough. Now, I don't know much about ploughing. Anybody know anything about ploughing? A little bit, yeah. How do you know about ploughing? Oh, okay, very good. See all these hidden things about us? Good stuff. Okay, well, I know nothing about ploughing, but apparently it is quite a difficult task. It's quite skilled, and you have to, you know, be quite focused when you're doing that job. 
All right. Um, so I was reading around this sort of subject, and apparently, you know, if you're ploughing, you've got one hand on the plough and one on the oxen, or that something like that, whatever, like that. Um, if you look around or you take your eyes off the task in hand, it could all go kaput. Yeah, absolute chaos could go. Um, there's this massive long list of what could happen if the person ploughing just looks around or looks back. It said um, you could, the, the furrow would become crooked. There's a danger that you could catch it on a rock and it would break. Um, you could plough over furrows that had already been ploughed. You could ruin the field's drainage system. Well, the list went on and on. So you had to keep focused when you were ploughing. And so Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What's he actually saying here? It wasn't an option when you're ploughing to look around and get distracted. Because getting distracted, everything would go wrong. And Jesus is saying this, and he's saying this to us today, to follow me. You've got to keep your eyes on me. You've got to keep focused. You've got to be single-minded. You've got to fix your eyes on the coming kingdom of Christ. There's no room for distraction here. There's no room to look back at other things to look at the other distractions of our life, to look back at the past, because following Christ demands a single-mindedness. How good are we at looking back at the past and letting the past dictate our future in a negative way? We do it, don't we? Things happened in the past, and we carry them around with us. And Jesus is saying, look, don't look back. Don't look around. Don't be distracted. I'm calling you as my disciple to be single-minded, to keep focus on the coming of, of Christ. How much do I struggle with all the distractions of this world? The distraction of desire, the distraction of want, the distraction of need, the distraction of this, that and the other. The ploughman has to labour in harmony with the work that's already been done the work that he's doing and the work the teamwork between using the plough and the animal any distraction will get rid of that harmony he'll be unproductive even destructive and harmony in our life for us is maintained when we keep our eyes on Christ when we see Jesus when we recognise the mission of the gospel message See, the volunteers thought that his loyalty to the kingdom would be accepted as secondary to his loyalty to other things, to his family. But Jesus says, no, I need your loyalty to me first. That's where it's got to be. In the Middle East, when a disciple, when somebody used to follow a teacher, when they talk about the teacher and the disciple, that relationship was binding. That relationship was really deep. It's likened to the relationship of a father and a son. That's what that relationship was like. So when they were following, signing up to follow Jesus, it was this all-encompassing relationship that they were signing up to. A lifelong, binding, depth of relationship between the teacher Jesus and them as a disciple and follower. Jesus is saying, look, that's what it's going to be like. And I'm going to be the authority. I'm going to be the absolute authority. Even before anything else, even your family, if it conflicts, can be a distraction. But I think today we can go beyond that. Because I don't think it's just family. But I look at my own life and I think the kingdom of God needs to take priority over all my other loyalties. Over all the other things that I get involved in, that I like, that I do, whatever they, wherever they might lie. 
I wonder if we ask that question today, you know, where does our loyalty lie? Because the authority of Jesus is the highest and we're called to submit to Christ. Yeah? The cost of being a disciple is high, but Jesus prayed, paid, prayed, played, paid. Jesus paid a really high price for us. Yeah? And sometimes when I'm going through my Christian life and I get a bit frustrated and I get a bit angry with God and I get a bit fed up and I get a bit, ugh, can't do this anymore and I struggle and I strive and I think, oh, the price is too high but then I think back to what Christ has done for me and the price that he paid for me. Yeah, the cost is high but we have a high calling to love God, to love others, and to make the gospel known. The cost is to work, to walk the way of sorrow. It could be to suffer. Maybe not to suffer necessarily in a persecution way, but maybe the very fact of just being a Christian. But it could be suffering in sacrifice and giving in all sorts of things. The cost is high. Our loyalty to Jesus has to come above other things, above the cultural demands, above the cultural norms of our day. They're not acceptable excuses for lack of discipleship. The cost of, Je- the cost of following Jesus is, is high because he has to be number one. He has to be the authority in our lives. To follow Jesus is not about this, this warm and fuzzy feeling that we have, an intellectual insight. It's compared to ploughing which I've discovered is a single-minded, focused activity that demands strength and resolve. It's a tough call. It's a tough call. And we may be sat here today thinking, actually, actually, Nick, you know what? You've just spelt all that out for me and I'm not feeling very happy because I think the price is too high. Yeah, we might be sat there thinking, oh my word, how can I do this thing? But this call of Christ, of being a disciple, is not a call that we've been called to alone. Yeah? It's never meant to be done alone. But we've been promised that Jesus would be with us. We have eternal company and supernatural strength. And we have to remember this, that anything, anything worth of value, anything worth wanting, anything worth aiming for, is going to come at a high price. Yeah? We've got to remember this, though. Salvation is free. It's the discipleship that costs. Salvation is free. The high cost does not need to be paid for salvation. That is the beauty of grace. Isn't it? That we can come to God, whatever, and be accepted and be saved. It's free. The high cost comes really when we really want to be a true disciple of Jesus. The question really is, are we willing to be disciples or are we just content with being Christians? See, there are many people in this world that claim to be Christian, that are Christian, sorry, not just claim, that are Christians. Christianity is still the largest religion in the world. Many people are Christians. But are we all disciples? Do we all know what it is to pay the price of being a disciple? I spend a lot of my days being a Christian. 
And every now and again, I managed to pull out the bag to be a disciple. You see, salvation's free because God is gracious. And nothing that we can do can make God love us any more or any less. Salvation's free. We have God's grace and his forgiveness. But the discipleship bit costs a little. It does. It can hurt a little. You know, I don't know whether to say this or not, but I'm going to throw it out there because, well, I think you kind of like me and you'll be all right if I get it wrong. But I'm going to throw it out there. When I was praying about today, and I was praying last night about this message, and I got this picture of um, a big apple tree in a field. Now, I don't know whether that's just me and my mind, because my parents have lots of apple trees, and, you know, I'm never really one to say, well, this is definitely what God said, but I got this picture of this apple tree. I'm probably just thinking of apple pie or something. I got this picture, and on the ground, there was lots of apples on the tree, just like the ones... Are they from you guys out, out by the thing? Yeah, good. Just like the apples outside by the door that you can take free. Um, they're on the tree, and they're really healthy. And they're great because they're connected to the tree. And then there was all these apples scattered underneath the tree. And some of them look really great still. They're foolish, but they look fine. Like, you could eat them. They'd be okay. But if you know what apples are like, sometimes when they look okay, you cut them open. And because they're foolish, they're bruised. And they were bruised inside. Because you can't actually see the damage, but the damage has been done. There were other apples on the floor that you could absolutely tell they were damaged. You could see the bruising on the apples. They were that brown, mushy. You could see it. And I wondered, when I saw this picture, I thought, I mean, I wonder if that's for us. I wonder if there's some of us that feel like that sometimes, that, you know, we want to be connected to God, to the tree, like that. But we've fallen off. And we're on the floor and we're looking up at all the other apples going, I want to be an apple like that. But I'm on the floor. And it can look like we're fine from the outside, but we've fallen, so we are bruised and we're bruised inside. Some of us might be, you can see it all, we're completely a mess on the outside. We're bruised and damaged, just like those brown apples. I wonder if some of us are like that at times. Desperate to get back up and we could have got on the floor for all sorts of reasons we could have taken ourselves off the tree by doing something silly by making a mistake by choosing the wrong path for doing something wrong we might have actually jumped out off the tree ourselves others of us it could be the wind has blown us off it could be things that have happened circumstances what people have said to us i don't know whatever it is and it's knocked us and we're hurt and we're carrying something and sometimes we're like that aren't we We like those apples, the bruised ones on the floor. We want to do it. We want to get right. We want to be good disciples. And I wonder if any of us are thinking today, yeah, I I want to dedicate my life to the cause and to the mission of others and, and to lay my life down, but I feel like I don't quite qualify. I feel a bit unworthy. I feel that I fail too often to sign up for this high cost discipleship living. I feel like that at times. Can we just remind ourselves of this, okay? Can we just remind ourselves of the 12 disciples that Jesus called to follow him, who remained his disciples all the way through? I'll just read you this quick passage from Mark. It says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And Jesus says to them, Follow me, 
I'll make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Jesus called the fishermen. You might think, well, yeah. And how significant is that? I think it's very significant. Because in Jewish literature, two, two jobs, two groups of people always had negative comment. And they were the fishermen and the carpenters. Because these two jobs made it virtually incapable for them to keep the ritual, the purity laws, the Jewish laws. Both groups couldn't observe it because they weren't allowed, they weren't supposed to touch anything unclean. And of course you had the fishermen who would touch all the fish that were, some were clean and some were unclean and they were dealing with that all the time. So they had, you know, they couldn't keep the law of Moses. And then you've got carpenters and they would often double up as undertakers because of coffins and making, you know, coffins and stuff. And so they would have to deal with the dead body. And so they were unclean. These two groups of people, fishermen and carpenters, often they were, they were you know, spoken about negatively because they couldn't keep the law of Moses. But it is precisely such fishermen that Jesus calls to be his disciples. Don't you just love that? I love it. I love it. I love the fact that it's precisely the people who couldn't keep the law that Jesus says, follow me. Come and follow me. Yeah, you can't keep the law, but come and follow me. That's us, isn't it? That's me. The mission is Jesus. The gospel is others. The price is high. But you know what? Jesus knew it was impossible for us to be perfect. He knew that. He knew we couldn't keep the law. That's why he had a master plan and came down incarnate. Isn't that lovely? That we have this high, high calling and the cost of discipleship is high and it is demanding of our lives. But Jesus says, look, it's okay. I'm not looking for perfection. I know you can't keep the law. That's why I've come down and that's why you've got my forgiveness and grace and mercy for eternity. So all your sins tomorrow and in the future are forgiven. Isn't that great? I really want to do this thing called discipleship. I really want to sign up my life to say, God, you know what? Yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I know it might be painful. I know I might have to suffer. I know it hurts to lay down my life for others. I know that's difficult, but I want to do it. I really want to do it, Lord. I know that it's difficult. I've got other things in my life going on and, and I find it difficult to, with all these other loyalties that I have, it's not always easy to make you number one, but Jesus, I really want to. I really want to do that. I really want to give you authority over my life, over every desire, over everything I want or need, over everything that I aspire to be. I want to give you authority. Salvation is free. It's the discipleship that costs. I'm going to ask the worship group to come back for a moment. Sorry, I've gone over time a little. I don't think we cannot respond to any message that's given because it's from the Bible. So I think we have to make some sort of response. And when I was reading that passage in Luke, I read it with new eyes because obviously I I was preparing it for today and... um, I love reading round and just finding out about the culture and the time. And it speaks then on another level to us, doesn't it, when we look at it like that? But in those three little dialogues, Jesus was trying to show us something about the cost of following him. 
But I want to be reassured, I want you to be reassured today that the cost, yes, it's high, but we have this great promise that Christ is with us. And we have this great reassurance that he loves us. And we have this great little nugget in the Bible that says, you know what? I'm going to call the people that can't do it to follow me. Those are the people I want. Those are the people. Because I want you to do it in my strength, actually. I don't want you to do it alone. I want you to do it in my strength. And so I want us, as we sing this final song, to just think about some of those things today. And I don't know, whatever part that you can connect with, but whatever it is, make that connection with God today. Whatever it is. However God has spoken to you. It could have been before in the worship, whatever it is. Let's just come before God and say, yeah, Lord, you know what? I want to do this discipleship thing. And I thank you that you're with me as I, as I lay down my life. And if we're struggling to do that, as Joey said before, you know, God has done so much for us. It's when we see the love of God and we see the love of Christ that it will inspire us to follow him and to love him. It's when we see the cross. It's when we see salvation. It's when we see grace. It's when we see forgiveness and mercy. When we see all of that, it makes it so much easier for us to go, yeah, okay, God, I'll sign up. We're not perfect. We're not called to be perfect. Let us stand together. Father God, I thank you that I thank you for your words, and I just love it. Just love it, Lord. Love the fact that you just speak to us afresh through your word. Every time we come to it, whether we've read it a hundred times or not, whatever, every time we come, you speak, and I thank you that you speak. And I pray today, God, that, that we would take this message, and we would impart it into our life. Well, we might be struggling in our life, we might be suffering some way, And we might be thinking, this isn't fair. We might be angry, we might be frustrated, but Lord, I just pray that you'd help us realise again that the way of the cross was always going to be a way of suffering. Following you was never going to be easy. But that you're with us. And that you love us. And that you're for us. If we're struggling today with divided loyalty, when we're struggling with the culture that we're in, fighting against the world and, and everything that it has to offer, God, I pray that we would just come back to focusing on you. Being loyal to you. Giving you the authority. Lord, I pray that there will be no better or no bigger authority in our life. That nothing would come to overtake you. But you would remain our first priority. That we would be like the plowman, single-minded, focused on you. Looking to do your work. Looking to do your mission. God, you gave it all for us. We want to give it all to you. And I pray in all our failings, in all our difficulties, in all our struggles, you'd help us. God, there may be people here today, some of us might feel like those apples on the floor, but God, I pray that we would see a new revelation. It doesn't matter whether we're on the floor, we can get back up on the tree. We, we all qualify for your kingdom. Nobody is left outside. Nobody is too bruised. Nobody is too battered. Nobody is so much of a failure that they can't get back to you. Because that is precisely the people you've called. And I thank you for that. Lord, let us submit our lives to you again today.
Let us say yes again today. Let us be willing to take up our cross again today. Let us be disciples, not just Christians. Let us be disciples, Jesus. We want to follow you. Give us that strength today, Lord. God, in your mighty name. To this, we download from Lightly Love Church. For more downloads and information, or you can contact us, please visit our website, the Lightly Love